Good morning, Chapel Hill. We're going to put that song to the test this morning. Very, very glad that that's where we landed right before I got up here. Uh, This is uh, the time when I would uh, ask uh, if you needed a Bible. We're not going to hand out Bibles this morning. Um, There will be plenty of scripture. All the references will be up on the screen. But let let me remind you that if you need a Bible for yourself, if you need a Bible for a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, for whoever it is, we always have Bibles available. And you can grab one off the usher station in the back corner there whenever you need one. And we've given out many of them that way uh, to people that... uh, need to have God's word. So by all means, help yourself if you do need one. All right. Um, going back to last week here, um, I, wanted, I talked about three different things uh, when I was up here. I talked about our position. I talked about our identity, our position in Christ. I talked over here about our purpose to be like Christ, that we should be becoming like Christ all the time and what that means and how we often look at that as this list of religious obligations that we're to fulfill, rules that we're to follow, things that we have to do because that's what we're supposed to do. That's our purpose. I talked about the disconnect between our position and our purpose and the need for us to get some perspective in the middle of all that. And understand that Christ is at work in us, that God's working to change us, to transform us to the point where our purpose flows out of our position. We understand who we are in Christ, and because of Christ's work in us, we fulfill the purpose that He's given for us here on this earth. And we're going to talk a lot today and in the weeks to come about that purpose, about what it is that God has called us to do. And I got to tell you, I am very excited and even to the point of, in a good sense, being weighed down by the importance of what we're about to do as a church. This is something that I've been praying for and planning for, for years. And I'm very excited that we get to go on this journey together. And here's why. We have been called to be the light of the world. Yes? Yes. We've been called to be the light of the world. Um, Not only that, if Jesus says we are the light of the world, then it's not really a... He's not asking the question, is he? He's stating the fact that we are the light of the world. And so he brought, when he left, he brought his spirit to us to give us the power to be the light of the world. He told his disciples that they would do great things, that they would do things even greater than he had done because his spirit was going to come and dwell in them And give them the ability, give them the power to fulfill the purpose for which they were created. Christ came and he gave them this identity and he said, I will give you the power in you to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. And that is to be the light of the world. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to identify the fact that we are the light of the world. And we're going to talk for a while now about how we are the light of the world, especially in our neighborhoods. And here's why I want to focus on our neighborhoods. Um, This is just something that's bothered me for a long, long time. Um, And it bothers me because it was a part of my reality. This is the way I thought for a long, long time. This is the way I functioned for a long, long time. I understood. I've understood my identity in Christ for decades. I get that. I, I, I love that reality. My favorite book in the Bible is Ephesians. It tells us so much. Paul writes so much about who we are and all the riches that are ours in Christ. But then I've also heard so much about my purpose. 
And there are so many things said in the Bible by Jesus and by others about our neighbors, but I've just ignored that in such a huge way. I feel like I've let God down by not fulfilling what he's called me to be to my neighbors. And here's what I've seen over and over again in my life and in so many people's lives. As followers of Christ, we have this tremendous privilege of being who we are because that's who Christ says that we are. That's the identity we've been given. But we take that privilege and, and it's ours. It's our treasure. It's our thing. We, are, we hold on to it. This is so important to us. And so we go and we get that affirmed over and over and over again. We come to church every Sunday and maybe Wednesday and maybe another day of the week. And we come here and we get filled up and, and we have this buffet of God's word available to us. And there's so much there that we can just take in. And we do. We take it in and we take it in and we take it in. And we thrive on it. It's beautiful. And then every so often there's this opportunity for us to go and serve somewhere. Maybe we might be able to serve along with our church in some community outreach project or something. We've identified that there are some poor people here and there and that they have these needs. And we're going to go and we're going to meet those needs together. So we get together and we go and we do that. And then we come back home, we pull in our garage, we close the door, we live our lives in our house. And then a couple more days go by and we get out and we go to the church and we get filled up again and we get all this stuff. What's happening in the meantime? Every single time we pull out of our driveway, we drive right past our neighbors. Right past our neighbors. And honestly, for years in my life, I never even gave them a second thought. I didn't know them. I didn't have a burden for them. I had all my great things that I was doing. I, for Pete's sake, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I had all kinds of things available to me. I had all kinds of luxuries, privileges, benefits, all mine. But so often I've seen it over and over again. Even when we go to serve. We drive right by the people living next to us without even giving them a second thought. And this morning I want to talk about that reality. I want to talk about the, the importance of understanding that God has called us to love our neighbors. Can you identify with what I'm talking about? Does it ring true with any of you at all? I think it does with a lot of people. I think it does. And I'm not, this has nothing to do with me getting up here and making you feel guilty. I'm not going to stand here and say, I have, a, I have a burden for my neighbors. What about you? You should have a burden for your neighbors. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to, to point a finger at me. Okay? Everybody point a finger at me right now. Just do this. Just point a finger at me. And turn to your neighbor, turn to the person next to you and say, he hasn't got this figured out. Because <laughs> that's the reality, okay? This is anything but a guilt trip. I have realized over the last few years that one of the most important things that God has called me here to do is get us back to the basics. Get us back to God's command to love our neighbors. 
I want to be a church that cares about the people that live next door to us. I want to be a church that understands that we have been given the power of God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The same power that Jesus had dwelling in him. To be a light to this world. And so for the next several weeks here, we're going to focus on what it means to love our neighbors. We're going to focus on what it means to be a light in our neighborhood. We've been talking about the light. This whole study of First Peter has been about the light. The light that's in us and how God put that light in us in order for it to shine out into the darkness around us. This is very, very important not just for me, but for us as a church, that we get this, that we embrace fully the identity that we've been given in Christ as the light of the world. And because his spirit dwells in us, we will fulfill our purpose of being a light in the darkness, of loving our neighbors and letting our light shine before them. So I want to go go at this to start with just from that same format that I looked at last week. I want to talk about our position, about our purpose, and about some perspective that we need in order for that purpose to flow out of our position, our identity. And so I want to look at a few different things up here on the screen that, um, that define our position in Christ. And I love the fact that, that God gave us in the scripture these beautiful pictures pictures of who we are. He, he laid it out very clearly. He gave us these great images, these great concrete things that we can just hold on to and go that, okay, I get that. I can understand that. And so I want to go through just a few of these. These are, this does not represent all of them in the Bible. It definitely doesn't. There's so much more than this, but here's where I want to start. When it comes to our position, who we are, our identity in Christ, here are some things that are true about you and me. First of all, as I've been saying, we are the light of the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He was speaking to us. He was speaking to all of us, to all of his followers. And so we have that identity. We are the light of the world. There's a picture of who we are. And obviously that means there's some darkness for the light to have an impact on, okay? Right before that, Jesus said another thing to us. He said, you are the salt of the earth. And he said something pretty strong in there. He said, if the salt loses its flavor, if it has no impact, what good is it? It's just thrown out and trampled on. It's, it's useless. It has no purpose. But he said, you're the salt of the earth. You do have a purpose. You do have an impact. You are going to change the way the world sees God, the way the world sees a lot of different things, because you are the salt of the earth. Here's one that we've been talking about for a while. We are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We've been looking at this in 1 Peter chapter 2. There is no question about that. If that's true, and, and believe me, I tried my very best to make sure that we got that, that we are priests, we are God's royal priesthood. If that's true, then there's something that comes out of that. If we can be identified as priests, so what? It means that we're going to carry out our role as priests, as God's holy dwelling place. We make up that dwelling place. That's our identity. So there's a purpose that comes out of that, fulfilling our role as priests. And that role means that we have an impact on the world around us. 
For instance, if you were to picture yourself, I do this all the time. This comes really natural to me. If you were to picture yourself as a pastor in your neighborhood, it changes your perspective, right? It changes your perspective on who you are and what your role in that neighborhood is. But I don't want to scare you with the word pastor. Let's just use priest. That's easier, right? We're a royal priesthood. That's our identity. That's who we are called by God. Then there's this one. When Jesus was calling his disciples, he came to some fishermen down on the shore, mending their nets. And he said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I love that. I love that he took such a concrete picture related to what those disciples were going through and said, this is who you're going to be. This is what you do for a living, but this is your greater purpose in life. I will make you fishers of men. And no matter what it is that you do for a living, no matter where it is you live or what your position in your neighborhood is, God has called you to be a fisher of men. He's given you a bigger picture, a bigger vision of who you are and what your role is in your neighborhood, in your workplace, wherever that is, in your school. Paul wrote this about us. He called us ambassadors, ambassadors. He gave us this amazing title, and Peter, of course, affirmed that with Paul, talked about the fact that we are, we are strangers here, sojourners and exiles. We're foreigners. We don't belong. We're not of this world. We represent somewhere else. We're ambassadors that, that represent heaven, that represent the kingdom of God, and we've been placed in our neighborhoods to be those ambassadors, to represent somewhere else. Last week, I talked about the fact that we don't have a right to citizenship here on earth. We don't have that. Our citizenship is in heaven. That makes us ambassadors here on this earth. One of the pictures that we've been given. And then if we go back to this is, I talked about this a while back. Um, In 1 John chapter 4, John talks about this simple definition of God. He says, God is love. And in verse 17 in 1 John 4, John mentions the fact that as he is, as God is, so are we in this world. We are love in this world. All parts of our position. These all are descriptive terms that say this is who we are. This is our identity. This is who we are in Christ. And along these lines, God's given us some clear distinction, some clear definition of what our purpose is as these people. And so let's look at our purpose now. That was our position. This is our purpose. If God, if Jesus said that we are the light of the world, he, he clarified that. He said, so let your light shine before men so that they may see God in us through our good works and that God gets the glory in that. So as light of the world, we've been given this purpose of letting our light shine in the darkness. That's what we're to do. Going back to 1 Peter 2.9 again, when he talks about us being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, he then says, so that, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of your Father in heaven. We have this position as a holy priesthood with the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of our Father, of God. That's our purpose. 
back to Paul's writings about us being ambassadors. Um, he said that, that through us, through Jesus, we have been reconciled to Christ, to God. And through Jesus, that's been done. And then Jesus then, having reconciled us to God, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's your job description. As ambassadors, we have been given the purpose of reconciliation. We're to carry out the ministry of reconciling people to God. Jesus did that for us. We're to provide an opportunity for others to be reconciled to God by shining our light in the darkness, by speaking the truth. Then, of course, at the end of Matthew, um, the last thing that Jesus says there that's recorded in Matthew to his disciples is he gives them the Great Commission. He says, go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, teaching, baptizing. And he makes this wonderful promise. He says, I will be with you always. Well, that's cool. He's given us a job description to make disciples. He's given us a purpose of making disciples, but said, I'll be with you every step of the way. That's Christ in us. That's his spirit dwelling in us. He's making that possible. But this is something that he gave us to do. We're to make disciples of all nations. And then one of the the simplest statements that Jesus made, he was asked what the two greatest commandments are. We know what those are. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, go and love your neighbor. That's your purpose. You've been loved by me. You're my beloved. Now go and love your neighbor. And then I had to add this one. I just love the fact that that we may have looked at the love your neighbor bit as being relatively easy. But then he says, but you know full well that some of them are not going to love you back. Love your enemies anyway. Love your enemies. And he takes it to this next level. And so we've been given this, this list of things. And there's, again, there's much more to that than what I'm representing up here. But we've been given this list of things that describes our purpose. And it's all laid out right there for us. We understand what we're to do. But here in this difference, in this gap between our position, all the things that we're called and told we are, and our purpose, these things that we're instructed to do, in the middle of this lies one of the greatest gaps between position and purpose that I've ever seen. There's a ridiculous disconnect here. If we are these people, and this is our purpose... Shouldn't we be having a substantially bigger impact on this world? We should, shouldn't we? That's the reality. That's who we are. And so we need some perspective in this. We need to understand what is going to tie these together. What kind of perspective is going to help us see our identity flow into our purpose as we then have an increased impact, especially on our neighborhood? What might our perspective look like? If we're going to truly love our neighbors, and Jesus was talking about the people near us. He did use a figurative sense of just your fellow mankind, but he also used it in a very literal sense sense the people right close to you are your neighbors if we're going to shine our light in the darkness what is going to need to happen to our perspective and i think we need to start seeing our neighborhoods in a new light 
I think we need to start seeing ourselves. I think we need to start seeing our families. I think we need to start seeing our homes. I I think we need to start seeing our yards in a whole new light. If we're going to fulfill what God has called us to do, to be a light in our neighborhoods. And so I want to talk about this. God is calling us to to shine his light in our neighborhoods. And so we need to consider this mindset. And these are some of the things that I've put down when it comes to having the right perspective on taking our identity and turning it into purpose. First of all, it's the perspective that God has placed us in our neighborhoods. Listen, God determined that. You may think that you strategically chose a neighborhood because of the school system and all the rest of that stuff. And you planned it with the the real estate market just so and all that kind of stuff. And you were looking for, you know, you want to be close to a particular grocery store. Whatever that is, believe it or not, God has placed you where you are right now. God's done that. God has put you in your neighborhood. You're there for a reason. So understand this, this part of our perspective, God has a purpose for me in my neighborhood. Do you believe that God has a purpose for you in your neighborhood? He has a purpose for you. He's got something that he wants to do through you and for many of you is doing in your neighborhood. He's got a purpose for you in your neighborhood. Next piece of perspective, God has a vision for your neighborhood. God wants to see something happen in your neighborhood that represents his kingdom. He wants his kingdom to come in your neighborhood. He wants it to have an impact on your community, your street. And it includes you. His vision includes you. It includes me. Here's one that I think really needs to sink in with us. God is already present in my neighborhood. God's already there. And in this journey that we take together, uh, I want us to arrive at the point where we are looking earnestly to see where God is in our neighborhood. And we are completely on board with joining him in what he's doing in our neighborhood. He's been there long before you ever arrived. He is at work. And we've got to have that perspective Next, God loves my neighbors. Seems so simple, but God deeply loves your neighbors. God deeply loves the people who live right next door to me. He deeply loves the people who live across the street from me. And he wants to use me. He wants to use you to demonstrate his love, to show his love to those people. That's perspective. We've got to have that. Finally, my neighbors need God. There is just no question. There were so many times in my life when I would just look at my neighbors and go, they're all set. They got everything they need. They're fine. But I'm discovering more and more and more as we connect in our neighborhood that my neighbors need God so badly. And there is a longing in their heart for something that only God can offer Is that special to my neighborhood? No. That's the entire planet, folks. People need God. 
And we've got to begin to see our neighbors from that perspective. God has placed us in our neighborhoods. God has a purpose for us in our neighborhoods. God has a vision for our neighborhoods that includes us. God is already present in our neighborhoods. God loves our neighbors desperately, deeply, and our neighbors very much need God. With this perspective in place... I think we're going to go a whole lot further in terms of seeing our identity flow into our purpose. Our purpose flow out of our identity. We're going to see God use us. We've got to keep these things in mind. We've got to develop this kind of perspective. And I really want us to be a church where we constantly help each other do this. Where we're growing together in this. As a church that is unashamed, unafraid, and is deeply compassionate like Jesus was when it comes to the people around us. That he created in his image that need him deeply. We've talked about this thing called the the Jerusalem mandate for a while now. And I just want to go back to that because some of you are fairly new to us. And I want to explain where all this comes from. When Jesus was getting ready to return to heaven to be with his father again, he left a message with his disciples. He said this, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, you are going to have an impact. My spirit, I talked about this earlier, my spirit is going to bring you power to accomplish this. And you're going to be my witnesses right here close in Jerusalem, in the outlying areas of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we watch the New Testament church unfold, this is exactly what happened Exactly what happened as it formed right away after after Jesus returned to heaven. There was extreme persecution that came and that persecution caused a scattering of the church. The persecution came from Paul before he met Christ. He was the one doing the persecuting. But what came out of that was that the apostles decided to stay in Jerusalem. There was a scattered, there were many scattered followers of Christ that headed to Judea and Samaria. How about that? And of all the goofy things, who became the missionary to the ends of the earth? Paul did. The one who persecuted the church. And we have been called to be his witnesses here and not far away and very far away. Now listen. We do the, not far, the very far away thing quite well as we support missionaries around the world. We've been doing that on a regular basis. We do the not too far away thing quite well. We get involved in the city. We get involved with organizations like City Vision and the Open Door and all these different groups that we work with where we reach out just a little ways away from us in our city, in our state. The thing that I want us to identify is the fact that our Jerusalem, we're going to call our Jerusalem our neighborhoods because that's right close that's near where we are that's near to our homes and this is what i want to work on we're going to learn this lent season from now through easter how to love our neighbors better than we ever have that's going to be our focus we're going to respond in love and obedience to the command that jesus gave us to love your neighbor and i know as i said i know some of you are doing this already and you're doing it well and we're going to learn from each other for some of you i know this because i've been there for some of you this is flat out terrifying i get that 
And some of that just comes from some obstacles that we're going to look at here soon. Uh, some of it comes from disobedience. Some of it comes from just this, this fear. Some of it comes from this, uh, this previous understanding you've had. I grew up with this, okay? Uh, our church would, would gather together on a Sunday afternoon, and we were told to walk into a strange neighborhood and knock on doors and tell people the gospel. I freaked out. There was not something that I could do as a complete introvert and somebody who was absolutely terrified of people. That was not something that I just jumped on board and went, yes, some of my friends did. And they did it really, really well. But for some of you, I know this is the baggage is okay. Pastor's going to tell us that this afternoon we have to go to our neighbor's house and he's going to give us a pamphlet and we're going to have to share that with. That's not where this is going. Okay, we're going to get to that. You'll see that in just a minute. But I want to address the fact that there is fear here. There is hesitation here. There is disobedience on our part. I know that. I know that. I've been there. I want to work through this. I want to spend some time looking on this. I think we've developed a pretty good tool to help us get this journey started. It's not a perfect tool. It's a work in progress. You'll see that as we go. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require your input, your feedback, your help in developing this. Because sadly, I can't find a model for this. I can't find a model for what we are trying to do. And that breaks my heart because we have bookstores and, and online stores full of all kinds of resources on all kinds of things. But this is not laid out real well. Here's what we're praying for. We're praying that our light, that your light, that my light will shine brightly into the darkness of our neighborhoods. We are going to be the light of the world in our neighborhoods. And as a result, God is going to start some house fires in our neighborhoods. He's going to start something in my home. He's going to start something in your home. And it is going to have a profound impact on our neighborhoods. I believe that. Do you believe that? (laughs) yeah yeah i'm supposed to say yes because what happens if i say no (laughs) do you believe this chapel hill then let's go after this there are some steps i think that that we've been developing that are i think are going to help us get there and so I want to I wanna look at these 10 steps to lighting up our neighborhood. But let me provide some context before we get into them real heavily, okay? Um, first of all, this is an art, not a science. There's no formula to this. This is an art. This is going to require some movement. It's going to require some flexibility. It's going to require some sensitivity. We're going to have to develop this as we go. It's not a magic formula. It's going to take some tweaking. Uh, Secondly, the timeline for this is going to be unique in every neighborhood. This is not going to be laid out exactly the way that we presented. It's it's not going to fit into a perfect time frame. What are we shooting for? Well, okay. How much do you see your neighbors in the Minnesota winter? Right? Almost none. Right? There's kind of an excuse for pulling in your garage and closing the door so your hands don't fall off. There's, there's some reality there. And in the spring, it's like bears. We come out of hibernation. And now suddenly we see our neighbors again. We're, oh, yeah. All these things happen during the winter and we're not even aware of it. Um, but 
come spring, there they are. And so our target is to, to be a little better equipped here as we come to this spring that we have some sort of vision for what's God going to do in our neighborhood here. But the timing is going to look very different for all of us. It's going to be unique. For some, it's going to just fly. For some, you're going to find that, okay, I'm already way down the road on this. That's, that's great. That's fantastic. We'll sort it out. Also, the, the methods um, are going to be unique. We're going to throw a lot of ideas in front of you, a lot of ideas. Some of those ideas are going to work great. Some of them are going to work great for somebody and be a total failure for someone else. And we're going to share that. We've already got a little bit of that experience. We have people trying these things in their neighborhoods. And at some points, there were absolute flops. But God bless them, those people turned around and tried something else. And it became a success. We got all kinds of things, but it's going to look unique and relationships are going to look unique. As you discover things about your neighbors, some of those things are going to be very unique to your neighborhood, but we want to provide an opportunity to dialogue about that and figure out how we're going to respond to that. What can we learn from each other? So again, none of this is like formula lecture. That's not what this is going to be. We're going to throw some stuff out there and we're going to talk about it. We're going to work through it. We're going to take our time through this. So here's what we're going to do for the next 40 days or so. I want to give you... Ten steps. This is a a way up high view of all that's going to happen. Okay, here we go. Step one, pray for your neighbors. We're going to talk about that today. Not going to get into that right now. We're throwing out a suggestion of mapping your neighborhood. Also going to hit that today. I'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about meeting your neighbors. How to connect with your neighbors. Ideas for creating something in your community. What can you do to bring your neighbors together? What is this going to look like? We're going to talk about connecting with your neighbors. We're going to talk about loving your neighbors. Getting to that uh, connecting with your neighbors. Let me touch on that just a minute. This has to do with us letting our neighbors get to know us. We need to stop viewing ourselves as the people who have it all together. And our neighbors don't. So we're going to come in and be the superheroes in this. Not the case. We're going to talk about truly connecting with our neighbors. We're going to talk about loving our neighbors. And this goes down to, we've found this already. You get to this point where sacrifices have to be made. Obstacles have to be overcome. How do you truly lay your life down for the people who live in your neighborhood? We'll talk through that. We're going to talk about identifying people of peace. Jesus laid this model out, and we'll go back and look at that model. What does it mean to find people of peace in your neighborhood? Who are you going to partner with in this outreach in your neighborhood? We're going to talk about learning about your neighbor's faith. We're going to talk about learning to be good listeners. That's where this starts. It's where you draw people into a conversation that leads to God. You listen well. You ask good questions. We're going to talk about that as your relationships grow. We're going to talk about casting a vision of hope in your neighborhood and to your individual neighbors. What can you speak into their lives that will just awaken hope in them? We'll spend some time on that, a lot of time. We're going to talk about inviting your neighbors, inviting your neighbors to church, inviting your neighbors to serve with you. Inviting your neighbors to follow Jesus. And we're going to talk through that. And we're going to talk about guiding your neighbors 
to Jesus as Jesus followers. We'll talk of this all centers around fulfilling our mission as a church, which is to guide people into a, a flourishing, contagious relationship with Jesus Christ. These are the things that we want to work through. Um, as we do, there are lots of barriers and obstacles that are going to be identified. And this being Lent season, a time when you give things up for Lent, we'll talk about what those things are and how we can give them up during this season and hand those obstacles over to God. Um, So I want to get into step one. And in your bulletin, there's an insert. And it has a little outline of what I'm about to talk about when it comes to praying for your neighbors. Okay? We'll get to the other side in just a little bit. But use that outline there. Um, and here's what I want you to know. All along, as we go, there's going, there are going to be resources available on our website. You go to chapelhillchurch.com. Click on our resource tab, and you'll see right away neighborhood outreach and these resources. What I'm about to talk about when it comes to prayer is the full version is on our website there for you to download if you want it. Also, um, that will be available in paper form in our library back here. Did you know we have a library? Back here, the, la- the second last room on your right down this hall is our library. We'll make these resources available there as well. We want to make sure that you're well-equipped. Okay, the first and most critical step in this entire journey is prayer. And this will be the thing all the way through that invites God's power, that invites God's spirit to fill us and connect our position to our purpose all the way along. The first step in demonstrating love for your neighbor is praying for them Why? Let me give you a few reasons really quick. Number one, it acknowledges that God is at the center of this. This is his will. This is his desire, his plan. Number two, it acknowledges that you and I are not at the center of this. This is not about how great we are. This is not about fulfilling our spiritual obligation. This is about us being used as God's instruments in this. And prayer gets us to that dependency. We keep turning it over to him constantly. Thirdly, it gives your neighbor a very important place in your heart and mind. Imagine if you were talking to God about your neighbor every single day. How important does your neighbor become then? It leads us there. And lastly, it sets up this tremendous testimony of God's faithfulness. When you one day share with your neighbor that you've been praying for them for this long, do you know what kind of impact that's going to have? It's amazing. It is really incredible. It is, a, it is a beautiful thing to be a part of. God uses that testimony when we pray for people. All right, so I want to walk through some steps here um, in terms of choosing a prayer strategy for your neighborhood. This is where it all begins. I want to give you a few suggestions. These are listed on that bulletin insert. Um, the full notes on these are available online, like I said. Praying for your community as a home, that, as a whole, that's a no-brainer. Talk about, pray, talk to God about your entire community. Pray that He will come to your neighborhood and light it up. Bring His Spirit, bring hope and peace and love. Bring all of the things that that your neighbors are looking for. Pray for your community as a whole. Secondly, pray by name. By name. Pray for your neighbors by name. Now, you're going to have to know their names if you're going to do this, right? We'll talk about that in a minute, about getting those names. You have to be able to do that. Pray for specifics that are going on in your neighbor's lives. What are they facing as far as their jobs, their kids, their health, their personal things? What's there? Pray for God to reach and to rescue every one of them. Who are you going to start with? 
Who are you going to start with in your neighborhood? And I'd suggest choosing two households and praying very specifically and very earnestly for those two households to start with. Um, Are there specific people you want to pray for? Then pray by need, pray by need. And this has to do with the things that we just mentioned. Get into illness and employment and relationships and marriages. Pray that your community will come around each other's needs. Lift that up to God. Give him that request. Pray that God will bring specific needs to your attention. And there are ways to just, that, that God just does that when you begin to converse with your neighbor. It's amazing what comes out of those conversations. What situations are you aware of right now in your neighborhood? Are you praying for those? Are you inviting God into those things, those needs? How and when are you going to pray for those needs? Then pray together. Um, I love this one. Pray as couples, husbands and wives. Spend some time praying for your neighborhood together. This is an easy thing to do. This doesn't require like searching men. You don't have to search and find some deep spiritual thing to be praying about to impress your wife. Pray for your neighbors for Pete's sake. Just pray. Just get together and pray for your neighbors. It's an easy thing to do. Parents, pray with your kids. Pray with your kids for your neighbors. Get that seed planted in them now so that that love for your neighbors will grow in them some, some of you know that you have in your neighborhood other Christians, other believers. Get them praying with you. Get in touch with them. Um, also, bring your, bring your request to your small group here at church, um, to your Chapel Hill circle. Have other people praying for your neighbors, for your neighborhood. Let's do that for each other. Let's lift each other up in that. What's your strategy for praying together for your neighbors? Who are you going to pray with and when? Make this concrete. Then pray on the go. Um, This is as simple as doing a walk, walking your neighborhood and praying as you walk. There are lots of ways to do this. Go to a local coffee shop or something that's right there in your community and pray there. Pray when you drive to or from your house. If your house is not the first one on the block, pray for every house that you pass as you're driving home or driving to work. There's a great and simple opportunity for you to do this. Pray walk with others. Sit in your front yard and pray. That should be interesting. You don't have to make a show out of this. Remember, we're not Pharisees. We're not going to stand out on our driveway like this and let it go. That's not what we're after. But sit out front. Look at your neighborhood. If somebody's walking their dog, pray for them. If if someone's active in their yard, you can see them. Pray for them. Just sit out front where you can see your neighborhood and not just your house and pray. What's your strategy for praying on the go? How are you going to do this? How are you going to put feet to your prayers? Pray with expectation is the next one. This is so important. That we pray expecting that God's going to do something in our neighborhoods. And he's going to use us in what he's doing. Pray with expectation. Record your prayers. And look for the ways that God answers prayer. Pray that God will equip you to disciple your neighbor when they choose When they choose to follow Jesus, pray that God gets you ready for that. That day is coming. How are you going to equip yourself? How are you going to track the ways that God has answered your prayers in your neighborhood? Make some effort there, but pray with expectation. God wants to do something in your neighborhood. That's perspective. God loves your neighbors and he wants to use you to demonstrate that love to them. 
pray with that kind of expectation. Then I put pray for your spouse. Um, man, pray for their interaction in your neighborhood. I find that I, that I need to be praying for my wife a lot in this. Um, she's home more than I am. She's connecting in our neighborhood better than I am. That's just the reality of things. She's got time during the day to meet with a couple single moms and a widow in our neighborhood. And those relationships are blossoming. God's doing incredible things there, amazing things. All three of those households are now back in church. They haven't been to church in ages. They're going to church. They're seeking God. They're talking about their faith for the first time in a long, long time. And God's using my wife to do that. And I need to pray for that. Praise God for the connections that they've made. I can't be jealous of my wife. Yeah, I I wish I connected the way she has. That's coming. I'm working on that. But I got to celebrate that. I got to praise God for what's happening there. Pray for courage and wisdom for your spouse. Pray for a unified vision for the two of you as you reach out into your neighborhood. In what specific ways are you going to pray for your spouse? How are you going to encourage them as they interact in your neighborhood? How can you share a vision for your neighborhood with each other? Talk about it together. Pray for each other on this. Finally, pray for yourself. Pray that you have the compassion in you that Christ has for your neighbors. Pray that that will grow. Pray for a filling of God's spirit every single day as he gives you the power to do this. Pray prayers of submission. Talk to God and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Pray that you will be the light in your neighborhood, that you'll be salt and light And pray for yourself against your obstacles. Already, I think many of us can identify what our obstacles are. As we start talking about this, there's that that anxious stomach that comes. And you're just like, oh man, I've fought this for so long. It's there. You know what your obstacle is. We'll talk about these as we go along. Pray about that. Lift that up to God and say, God, here's my weakness. You be my strength. Because Jesus promised to do that for us. What is your prayer for yourself? What do you need to offer to God to see him accomplish this through you in your neighborhood? We'll talk about those obstacles in a minute. And then each week moving forward, we'll identify one of those. Second step in this journey is mapping your neighborhood. Mapping your neighborhood. And I want to show you a simple example here of what it is to map your neighborhood. And we're going to put a map up here. And it's just a simple way of looking at your neighborhood and saying, this is, this is my street. This is all fictitious, by the way. Don't look for yourselves in this. We didn't use your neighborhood. Although there is a, Brian, a Rachel and Brian down here. So if <laughs> Smiths, you're on the hook for this one. That's why it's called Smith Street. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I'm not taking the blame for this. Uh, Listen, this is just a, a very simple way of identifying territory that you're going to claim for God. I don't want you to say, Egan, that's not your neighborhood. Don't just say, I'm going to reach Egan for God. We'll get to that, okay? Let's start small and be faithful in small things. Look at your street. Look at the people that live next to you and across from you. Figure out a reasonable uh, boundary of your neighborhood and say, these are the people that I have the opportunity to influence on a regular basis. And so it doesn't have to go further than this number of houses. It may be a little more. It may be a little less. What is your neighborhood? How do you, how do you identify it? And then map it. Get names. Get 
uh, how many kids they have and how old their kids are. Get some of that. What, what do they do for a living? What, are, what is their job? Um, that kind of stuff. And listen, as you get out and start to meet your neighbors, it'll be amazing what you discover. And we'll share some stories with you of people in Chapel Hill that have done that, that have got out and gotten out and met their neighbors. Just gone. They've gone with the, you know what? I'm trying to put together a neighborhood directory. And so they're asking for information. Information leads to like open lives and away it goes. It's just God can do amazing things with simply this. But this is a concrete way for us to say, this is my neighborhood. This is the territory that I'm claiming for God, where God is going to work through me. There's plenty more coming about this, but that's what this is. Um, Identify in your neighborhood as well resources. There are resources in your neighborhood. Do you know how powerful your kids are as a resource to this? It's absolutely remarkable. That could be the thing upon which your neighborhood outreach is built. It could be your kids. Look for things. Look for things in your neighborhood. Look for places where you can gather. Parks, playgrounds, that kind of stuff. Identify them. Put them on there. How will you use it? Do you live in a cul-de-sac? Because this little area in the cul-de-sac, that's valuable territory. There's a lot of community interaction that happens in a cul-de-sac. It's a gift. Look for the things that God has put there to help you further the mission that he has given you and me to do. To love our neighbors. All right, almost done. I'm going long this morning. Honestly, if I said everything I want to say, we'd be here for hours. So be thankful that we're not. What is it that we're going to need to give up, to let go of in order for this kind of outreach to actually happen in our neighborhoods? What is that thing? There's several things that we've identified. We're going to take them one per week. We're not going to give them all to you and say, you just got to overcome all these things right now. That's not what this is about. One at a time, we're going to wrestle with this thing. It's easy to find reasons why we can't fulfill the purpose that God has given us. Having the right perspective that we talked about is critical. In his words to the church in 1 Peter 2.11, Peter referred to the followers of Jesus as sojourners and exiles. We talked about that last week. That's perspective. That's critical. But he also told them to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This was something that they were going to have to give up. They were going to have to set aside. And earlier in chapter 2, he instructed the church to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. There are things Peter said we're going to need to cast off in our pursuit of God and his plan for us. Loving our neighbors is going to require us to cast off some things too. And I want to start by identifying the most obvious one this morning. And that is selfishness. There is no way that we can fulfill God's purpose for us if we're selfish people. There's just no way. And if we look at our neighborhoods and say, it just doesn't matter to me. I got my own stuff going on. They're fine. I got to take care of me. This isn't going to happen. And so much of the time, that's, that's it. For me, it was just that. It was selfish apathy. I would just drive by my neighbors and I honestly couldn't care less who lived there. That selfishness has to be dealt with in us, doesn't it? Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for another. We're to love our neighbors, to love our neighbors. And if we're going to love our neighbors, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take us getting our eyes off just ourselves and onto somebody else. 
and how God is going to use us in their life. As we begin to pray for our neighbors and envision the community that God desires ours to be, let's acknowledge the fact that we can't do this and hang on to our selfishness at the same time. Love doesn't work that way. Love means laying down our lives and putting others first. Ask God to do this in you. Let that be your prayer for yourself as we start this journey together. God, root out the selfishness in me. Give me your heart for others Give me your vision for others. Love your neighbor, Jesus said. Love your neighbor. Pretty straightforward, but not easy. Not easy. As right and noble as it seems, it is not an easy thing to do, and I know that. We're going to face a lot of resistance in this. Our enemy is going to take shots at us. We're, we're going to get down on ourselves. Some of our neighbors may completely resent us even trying this. But remember this, our identity is in Christ. We are the light of the world. How do we become like Christ? By letting our light shine in the darkness. And how is this going to happen? Christ, as we invite him, is going to do it through us. His power, his spirit, his vision, his perspective towards our neighborhood, towards the people that live right next door to us. So let's start here. Let's pray for our neighbors. Pray for our neighborhood. And create a territory that we are going to claim for God. Let's acknowledge the fact that we are the light. We are the first house fire in our neighborhood. And that's going to spread. House by house. Life by life. God wants to love our neighbors through us. He just does. Let's start seeing our neighbors in a new light. In God's light, through God's eyes, as he reflects his light through us. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well as we close our service. Let's spend just a few minutes here in prayer as they do. Father, there is so much that we just looked at. So many different components that uh, you know we're just kind of bursting to get out of me as we begin this season together. Um, It looks big. It looks overwhelming. It looks complicated. It looks like there's just so much there. But God, you simplified it for us through your son. He said, love your neighbor. God, teach us how to love our neighbors. For all that you've been doing, and God, you know I've heard many stories here of how Chapel Hill people have been shining their light in the darkness in their neighborhoods. God, I praise you for that. For some, it's just there's obstacles. There's there's fear there. There's insecurity. there's, There's selfishness. God, will you root that out? Will you destroy those obstacles, those barriers? I'm asking for heart change. I'm asking for a filling of your Holy Spirit. I'm asking for courage like we've never had before. I'm asking for total and complete dependence on you and your power. So that our weaknesses are no longer significant. They no longer stand in the way. 
God, I thank you that you're going to hear our prayers as we pray for our neighbors. I thank you that as we, we map out, as we just lay out, this is our neighborhood, that you're just going to put your hand on that and go, this is mine. I've created these people in my image. God, by your spirit, will you just draw us into the purpose that you have for us? We love you and we love our neighbors. Guide us each step of the way. We commit this, this whole journey to you with great expectation in the name of the one who modeled it so well for us, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.